0: listening to the rainmaking podcast hosted by high stakes headhunter author and professional speaker Scott Love. This is the Rainmaking Podcast and my name is Scott Love, your host. Thank you for joining me. One of the things I absolutely love about doing this is that I really get to know the people that we have on here fairly well. And David Ackert our guest today is someone that's a new friend of mine. Another thing I like about doing this is that we get content that we get to produce and push out to those people that I want to get to know like you. And then third, selfishly, I sit at the feet of the smartest people I've ever met in business development, and David certainly is one of those people. Our topic today is implementing a business development system. You're going to get some fantastic, concrete, solid ideas that you can execute and start on right away today. Let me tell you a little bit about David. He's the president of Accord Inc., and he's a thought leader at the intersection of sales acceleration software and business development coaching. Over the past two decades, he has pioneered revenue acceleration programs for hundreds of professional services firms around the globe. He regularly keynotes at partner retreats and speaks at industry conferences. So make sure that you check out all the links that we have on our show notes on this program specifically, because we've got some other tools that I think are gonna be helpful for you. So make sure you check out the show notes and connect with David also on LinkedIn as well. And as always, this show is sponsored by Leopard Solutions Legal Intelligence suite of products, Firmscape, and Leopard BI. Push ahead of the pack with the power of Leopard. Thanks for listening. And I know you're gonna get some great ideas from my interview with David today. Hey, this is Scott Love with the Rainmaking Podcast. Thanks for joining me. Our guest today is David Ackert, and we're talking about implementing a business development system. David, thanks for joining me on the show today.
1: Scott, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, and I've been following you a long time. I'm excited to have you on our show. I know we've talked about getting you on here, and it's nice to see people that have not just good content, but also the credentials to back it up, and people that really understand what they're talking about. And today, we're talking about implementing a business development system. And when you say that, I think of a machine that's printing money. Is that what (laughs) we're talking about here? Well,
1: you know, I think some people wish that they were a little bit more predictable and mechanical in their ability to print money. So sure, let's, let's do it that
0: way. <laughs> I imagine like Scrooge McDuck capturing $100 bills if they come off, as they come off the, uh, the printing machine.
1: Yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, I mean, I think that, you know, a lot of people, when they reflect on how they develop business, they would observe that it's not systematized at all, right? There's a reason we have this phrase, random acts of networking or random acts of lunch. And it's (laughs) reactive. You know, when you're in professional services, All of the forces, whether you're at a firm or whether you're a solopreneur, but all of the forces are really compelling you to service your clients and react to what's in the inbox and be responsive. And so you end up putting your energy, putting out fires and not necessarily building something that is going to, as you characterize, be a money-making machine. And that's ultimately what we're after. We want consistent revenue. We want growing revenue. We want predictable revenue. And most of us in professional services never learned how to create that
0: engine for ourselves. Right, right. And this is something that I've seen with partners in big law firms is that they are practitioners of law, but they also have to be business developers. And Some of them are with firms that have fantastic marketing departments, but marketing is different than business development. So someone that has, let's say they've got resources in their firm where they're doing the marketing, they know that they've got a good brand and they've got people that are pushing out that message. What should that person do who's a rainmaker or somebody that wants to become a rainmaker? What should they do to really start building this business development system?
1: Yeah. Well, let's start by double clicking on the distinction you just made between marketing and business development, because I don't think all people really understand that distinction. Right. I still uh, work with a lot of people that uh, just call it all marketing. Well, I'm marketing my practice, right? Well, let's really look at that. So marketing is, if you think of the sales funnel, marketing is at the top of the funnel, and this is where you're Mm -hmm. elevating awareness. Scott, Mm -hmm. this podcast for you is a marketing endeavor, right? It's one to many. You're going to blast this out five, six, 7,000 people are going to click on it and listen to it. But you're not necessarily developing business with five or six or 7,000 people, right? At the end of the day, some of them are going to move down the funnel and they're going to reach out to you and say, Scott, I want to talk to you about potentially you know, merging my small practice into a big firm or Scott, I want to talk to you because I want to make a move from one firm to another. Now you're in a business development conversation with them. They've moved down the funnel, right? So when you have a marketing department at your firm, well, you're fortunate in that you have outsourced the top of that funnel. They can do things like publish thought leadership, one to many, or make a social media post on your behalf, one to many, build your website out, one to many. But when it comes to one-on-one, you can't delegate that. That's your relationship. You have to nurture it. You have to get involved. And lawyers and other professionals need to understand that they have to invest the time in, again, putting a system around the bottom part of that funnel. Otherwise, what happens is marketing creates interest. Maybe a lead comes in here or there, but the follow through on that lead is not very good the ability to take a lead that is already somewhat warm and move it further through the funnel, which is going to require repeated interactions and providing value and staying sort of top of mind with that person. All of that, as I said earlier, the forces in professional services are working against you because your time gets sucked into billing that time.
0: This is interesting what you're saying, and I'm going to say a word that will make me have to change the category of this particular show to explicit it's the word sales. I said it. <laughs> I mean, oh dear. I know. My ears uh, are burning. I know. It's I'm, I'm blushing, blushing a little bit. I'm I'm blushing. <laughs> So that's what we're talking about here, but we can't say it, right? I mean, what do you think about that word in a legal environment? And I know we have other listeners that are not in the legal industry listening, but what do you think about that? Just that word in itself.
1: I I get it. And, you know, sales, unfortunately, has a bad rap because a lot of people have been sold poorly too. And so they don't want to have anything to do with that association. I get it. We also need to get over ourselves a little bit here. I mean, to the extent that we are limiting the way that we think about something or talk about something, we're limiting our ability to master it. So... So if we want to dress it up and call it business development, that's fine. But at the end of the day, you are having a conversation with another person. Your agenda is that they buy your services. At the heart of all of that, we have sales. And I I don't think we need to get hung up too much on the nomenclature. But you're right. This is the conversion, right? Taking that lead and moving them through the bottom of the funnel into a client.
0: Yeah. And that's interesting. I gave a visual description, which is similar to what you said. I I spoke at the National Association of Law Placement Conference, and that's the the group of people that are on the recruiting teams that come to that conference. And I did a breakout. There were 200 people there that were all from firms. And I told them, I said that when your partner is interviewing a candidate, that person is actually selling your firm. Marketing is getting people in the building. Sales is what happens one-on-one at the jewelry counter, that one-on-one conversation. So So let me ask you this then. So let's just call it business development. Then we've got our marketing, the people that do that. We've got business development. That's the attorney or the professional services provider that has a client prospect that needs to reach out to them. What are some systemized or systemizable processes that you think that Rainmaker or potential Rainmaker should execute on?
1: Okay. So in order for you to create this system, you need to understand some of the research that's been done in this space. So the first thing that I'll share with you is, you know, we have a platform called Pipeline Plus where people are tracking their key relationships at the bottom of the funnel. And what we've right. seen over about, you know, gathering 10 years of data, having this platform in the marketplace, is that the people that generate a book of business have between nine and 35 targets, right? These are, these are people at the bottom of their funnel. So the first question people always ask is, okay, well, if I'm going to create this short list of targets at the bottom of my funnel to put a system around, how many do I have? I mean, is three enough? Can I have three big whale clients? Well, no, you, you know, law of averages there is probably not going to work in your favor unless your close rate is really good. Or they say, I know everybody in town. I've been networking forever. I got 50, 500 contacts. Well, now, you know, market to those people. You don't have the bandwidth to sell or business develop that short list. So what Mm -hmm. we find is nine to 35 is manageable. If it's fewer than nine, it's too few at bats. If it's more than 35, it's not manageable for most full-time people who are billing their time.
0: So let me ask you this then, David, you mentioned something, the close rate, the close ratio. Yeah. That sounds like a metric to me. Is that something that you think people should measure? Yes, but it takes a long
1: time to figure that one out. Okay. And it's going to vary depending on where you are in your career. You know, if you're a pre-partner, let's say you're a manager, you're an associate, whatever professional services vertical you're in, we'll call that something a little bit different. But your close rate is not going to be very good at that time. You're mostly networking with referral sources. And sure, you're talking to clients, but they're not necessarily going to engage you. Then when you're a new partner, your close rate starts to go up. But it doesn't really settle into what you ultimately can predict until you're at Least mid career partner. So I think it's a dangerous metric to get too focused on because A, where are you in your career? And B, what's going on in the marketplace? That will also impact it. You know, what we've seen this unprecedented demand over the last couple of years in professional services, people's close rates were really high, but I don't think it's going to be as high a year from now as the markets start to dip.
0: Okay, good. And so let me go back to when you talked about understanding the research. People that generate a book need to have nine to 35 targets at the bottom of the funnel. What are some other categories, other variables that we need to keep in mind as we start looking to build our system? Sure.
1: Okay. So we start with nine to 35 targets at the bottom of the funnel, right? And then the next uh, thing that you want to be aware of is the category of relationships. So you've been talking about prospects quite a bit here, but typically those nine to 35 contacts, what we've seen, consist of clients, prospects, and referral sources. Clients first, it's a lot easier to get business from an existing client and to expand that account or cross sell that account or to you know pick up the next project or matter from that client than it is to bring in a fresh piece of work from a prospect. Even though sometimes we get more excited about the prospect. Oh, I just had a meeting with this Fortune 500 company. This is going to be my my big win for the year. Okay, well, the chances of you bringing that across the finish line are much slimmer than you talking to that middle market company that's hired you every year, pretty much like clockwork for the last five. Pick up this year's work from them first, right? So that's where you get that, that three categories, clients being first. Yep. And then depending on the kind of business or practice you have, referral sources tend to be second. You're going to get mm-hmm. referrals as long as you've you know nurtured a referral source pipeline. And then you get the prospects as your third category because, again, that's those are the people where the chances of closure are the
0: lowest. Got it. And so what are examples of referral sources? Not just for legal, but other potential referral sources for people in other other industry niches. What are some people that they can think of as potential referring sources?
1: Sure. So referral sources are either internal or external. Internal. If you're at a large firm, you're you know you have a, a practice over here in tax, and then there's the M and A practice over there, and you've got that internal referral source where there's cross-selling, cross-pollination between relationships. Mm-hmm. For a lot of middle market or or smaller market uh, SMB type firms, your referral sources are typically going to be in the business community, other service providers. So now you're looking at you know CPAs if you're not a CPA, or you're looking at a financial advisor, an insurance broker, somebody like that. Uh, and and just a quick, you know, parenthetical pro tip here is a lot of people forget about their own service providers when they're listing out their referral sources. Your financial advisor It should be one of your referral sources. I mean, he or she has a lot of sort of uh, table stakes here, right, to make sure that you're a successful human being. And so make sure you reach out to them first and just say, hey, I'm looking to meet CEOs of this ilk, or I'm looking to meet people of that ilk, uh, CPAs, whatever it is. Who can you introduce me to? That will oftentimes be a great first
0: place to start. So we've got clients, prospects, referral sources. Do we divide up our time evenly in those areas? Or how do you think we would look to the pie chart of where we spend our time in connecting with people? Where should we spend it?
1: That's a really great question. Well, when we zoom out on our data, it's pretty even in thirds, but you know, we have a swath of professionals at different stages of their career. So typically what I would say to that is, look to where the relationships are strongest, because at the end of the day, a lot of this is driven by emotion if my best friend is a, I don't know, CPA or my best friend is a partner at the firm or my best friend is one of my clients, they're going to be much more interested in looking out for me than somebody who on paper should be sending me business, but I've got to work a lot harder to get that emotional connection to kick in. So that's where I would say don't get too caught up on a metric because the emotions are going to be very difficult to measure.
0: So that's interesting. I mean, that takes some emotional awareness to see where you're making an impact. Who loves you more than other people? I guess there's no way to measure that. What do you do? Do you just is it? Oh, there really is makes sense. Well, yeah, it's a about who, that? who are you most comfortable
1: hanging out with? I mean, you know the answer to that question. You don't need a lot of data for that, right? Like, who are the people who you would be least likely to feel reluctance when it comes to the idea of just picking up the phone and checking in right. with them? Because right. it's those phone calls that lead to new business. Right. But if you're like, oh, I don't know what to say. I don't know them very well. They're going to think I'm selling to them. You haven't developed that emotional bond. You haven't earned the right to pick up the phone and have a conversation yet.
0: That's interesting. Earning the right. I love that. How does one get to the point where they've earned the right to pick up the phone and ask them, hey, can you make a call on my behalf?
1: It takes time, it takes repeated contact, and it really you know, ties into the next metric here that I'll share with you. So this has been attributed to BTI Consulting, where they do a lot of interviews with inside counsel, outside counsel. They have client-side relationships. They have you know, attorney-side relationships within law firms. And what they'll do is they'll interview these folks. And in one of their interviews, they interviewed outside counsel. So these were the clients. And they said, how many interactions? Now, this word is very important, interactions. Typically, are there between your first contact with outside counsel and your engagement of that lawyer, right? So, I first meet this person, that's interaction number one. How many more interactions does it take before I reach out to them and say, hey, you know what? I'd like to engage you to help our company, our, you know, work on our case, our matter, whatever it is. And the average number that comes back from this research is 14. No way. Wow. 14 interactions. Now, in marketing speak, we throw around, oh, seven touches, this or that, right? Well, first of all, I think that data is pretty outdated. We've been saying seven touches for a long time now, and the marketplace has gotten a lot busier and a lot more crowded since that original data point came out. And also, let's make that distinction between marketing and business development. Seven touches may be enough to warm people up, someone up through the top of the funnel where right. they've never heard of you to, oh, yeah, yeah, I've heard of Scott Love or I've heard of that podcast. But that's different from picking up the phone and hiring Scott to help me with some sort of, you know, recruiting project, right? Mm-hmm. So, the uh, bottom of the funnel has its own metric independent of the top of the funnel. And that number, according to research, is 14 interactions. So this helps answer the question that you asked earlier, how do I get from, I haven't earned the right to pick up the phone and talk to this person. I don't feel like this relationship is warmed up enough. I need to interact with someone about 14 times before the conversion point is likely to happen where they're a client.
0: And so can we reverse engineer this? Can we see that, okay, I've probably got about three or four touch points or connection points with this client prospect. Is there anything I can do to reverse engineer this so that I can accelerate the number of other interactions I have with him or her? Sure. Well, now you are starting to point
1: to the machine that you alluded to at the beginning of our conversation, right? Okay. You're saying, okay, I've got my money making machine. How do I accelerate the gas on this thing and right. make the engine spin faster, right? And you absolutely can once you have some awareness of these numbers. So let's review. Okay. Now, the first number was you have nine to 35 targets. So that's yep. one lever you can pull. If you can manage a few more targets closer to 35 versus nine, then yes, you're making the engine spin a little bit faster because you have more opportunities. We talked about three categories. I wouldn't add any more. If anything, you may want to pare down and say, I'm getting more traction with referral sources than any other, so let me make sure that most of those nine to 35 are referral sources, or let me make sure most of those nine to 35 are clients, right, that's the other lever you can pull. And then the third one that we're talking about are these interactions. Well, the average is 14. You might get a client with fewer interactions. With some clients, it may take more interactions, but if the average is 14, and I'm counting the number of interactions, now again, newsletters don't count, those are touches. LinkedIn, you know, oh, they looked at my post doesn't count. That's a touch. This is an interaction where there's a back and forth, right? Mm -hmm. It's usually a conversation or maybe it's an email exchange, or maybe we exchange some sort of a series of comments on a LinkedIn post. Okay, fine. You're using social media, but it has to be a two-way conversation. That's an interaction where it actually advances the relationship and the chances are that person's going to remember it and they're going to feel just a little bit closer and a little bit more trusting after having gone through that experience with you. So yes, you can accelerate those 14 interactions, but here's the rub, and this takes us to our final metric, which is that when professional services are interviewed and surveyed on the comfort level of outreach, they typically say the most aggressive outreach I would be comfortable with is monthly. Now, some of them would prefer quarterly, some of them would prefer bimonthly, but when we ask, what is the most frequent cadence that you would be comfortable reaching out to your nine to 35 contacts without it starting to feel like you're a stalker, without it starting to feel like it's overbearing. People say, I think I could do monthly, right? Because a month is enough time where, hey, we haven't spoken, you know, in a month and I was just checking in. I was thinking of you. That's weird to do if you just talked to them yesterday.
0: Right, right. And so this research, is that where they researched the clients or the providers, the service providers usually?
1: This is where we researched the providers Wow. The professional services providers, the lawyers, the accountants, the so on. And we said, if in terms of proactive outreach, right, this is assuming they aren't expecting some deliverable from you or what have you, but this is just, I know this person, they're on my short list, they fit into one of the three categories, and I'm looking to accomplish 14 interactions with this person over time. I could do it monthly, like send them an article or reach out and let's let's have lunch or let's just have a Zoom check in or, you know, look up and see what they've done on LinkedIn lately and make a comment on their post and see if they, you know we can get them to respond, right? Monthly is about, a, about as aggressive as we can get given how busy everyone is, given what
0: expectations generally are. That's great. And so what other levers are there in this machine that we need to know about?
1: Well, the other thing that I would say, you know, again, in terms of accelerating those 14 touch points is if you have a good reason to reach out to someone, then you can accelerate those touch points even more frequent than 14. Now, this is where you start to get creative, right? Because- I'm going to just take a step back here, right, and talk about the the sales cycle in professional services. A lot of times it's a long sales cycle, right? But if we look at this machine that we've already developed, this system, we've got nine to 35 targets, three categories, 14 interactions, and a monthly outreach. Well, that's going to take about a year and a half if I'm reaching out Mm -hmm. every month, right? About 14 months for me to go from, I just met you, to now you want to hire me as a client. Right. And most people would concede that it takes a little bit longer than that. Well, that's because they aren't reaching out on a monthly basis to get to those 14 to you know take someone from absolutely cold, I just met you, to they want to engage you unless they were seeking you out, right? Somebody referred right. them to you through a referral source or lightning struck and they just happen to need your expertise at that time. And they knew nobody else that they could reach out to. Right. So right. we are looking to sort of condense this sales cycle as much as we can. And one of the things that we can do to have more regular outreach than monthly is some sort of social mechanic. Now that could be, Hey, Scott, listen, I love reading books and I know you love reading books. So uh, I've got this virtual book club. You want to join? You want to be part of my virtual book club? Or, hey, Scott, I'm a Raiders fan, and you're a Raiders fan. Let's go to a couple of sporting events together because we're local to one another. Or, hey, Scott, I love wine tasting. You love wine tasting. Let's do like a monthly wine tasting with a bunch of your friends and my friends, and we'll have a little thing, right? This is a social mechanic that you put in place that ensures that we're going to have a lot more interactions than we would if I just reached out to you once a month for 14 times.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. What you're saying, as you're saying it, it's like, yeah, I've done that. I see that. But now I know that's a strategy. That's something I can be much more deliberate and intentional about, about looking at who are those people I want to get involved with and say, hey, let's have our uh, online tic-tac-toe club or whatever right. whatever, whatever it is. And I, I'm not an online tic-tac-toe player. That's just the first thing. Oh, you thing had I, to apologize for that. I know, now, that's right. I, to... I've been playing it with my 10-year-old daughter a lot. And she's better <laughs> than me. She's actually beaten me many times Even at chess, she's beaten me. Anyway, you should start
1: this group. It sounds like a skill you need to develop.
0: (laughs) Absolutely right. So, So that's fantastic. So tell me then with some of the people that you've consulted to, what are examples of the social mechanic that you've seen that have been very effective?
1: Well, typically, you know, unless you're really good, you sort of have that Pied Piper personality where you can surround yourself with people and you can put together these groups and you can be strategic about you know who you reach out to and make it fairly regular. You know you've got a little bit of that event management skill set. Uh, it's a big ask of most people in professional services. So typically, what you want to do is network where you are. If you've got kids, I'm sorry, how old did you say your daughter is? 10 My years daughter's, daughter's ten years old. Okay, great. So you have other parents of roughly 10-year-old kids that you probably interface with, right, through the course of whatever activities your daughter's interested in. Start there, right? That's obviously a forum in which you're going to have more than 14 organic interactions with these people if you have this mindset of, oh, this is one of the forums where I want to make sure that I'm consistently reaching out to these people, getting to know their businesses, exploring synergies. We're going to sit around, you know, in the beaches at the soccer field anyway, for three hours or whatever it is, I might as well make productive use of this time by nurturing some of these nine to 35 contacts that I've identified at this event. Right, that's
0: great. Well, we're pretty much out of time here, David. I wanna have you on the show here later on because I feel like we're just scratching the surface on some of the ideas and, and thoughts that you have. But if we could come up with three action steps that people can take to get started on building this business development system, this machine, what would those action steps be?
1: Okay. Number one would be make a short list of your high value contacts. And remember, these are going to be clients, most likely clients first, depending on where you are in your career, but the clients are most likely to hire you again, the referral sources, and then finally the prospects. Okay. So create that short list and start with this margin of somewhere between nine to 35, just to keep it manageable and to use these best practices that we've discovered through our research. So that's number one, make the short sure. list. And I really mean documented. Okay, don't make it in your head. Uh, don't, don't just like, oh, yeah, I think I know who those people are. No, write it down. And it. number two is put them into some sort of tickler system so that they are triggered as top of mind for you. This is the problem is even if we know who these people are, we wrote it down on a spreadsheet or a document somewhere, we don't reference it. it it's not intrusive enough to come onto our radar so that we go, oh, right. Scott, love, I got to reach out to him. It's been two months. That's way too long if he's really on this short list of targets for me. So that's number two, a tickler system. And number three is when you receive that trigger, or that alert, reach out to them to explore how you can help each other right? And that could either be through some sort of social mechanic that's already in place. Hey, I'm going to see him next week on the soccer field anyway, or the tic-tac-toe club, or uh, (laughs) it's going to be because, you know, Scott's in Virginia. I'm in LA. I've got to make a concerted effort to just reach out and say, Scott, you know, that podcast we did last month was so fun. Just wanted to check in, see how things are going. What should I be looking out for to help you in your business?
0: That's great. Well, this is fantastic, David. You've got some great ideas. I know I've helped people. Tell us about the offerings that you have, the things that you do, the things that you offer to our listeners that could be helpful to them.
1: Sure. So our company is really focused on sales acceleration for professional services. We work with a lot of law firms, CPA firms, other kinds of professional services firms. And people come to us to either license our Pipeline Plus product, which is a technology that they can use on their phone, they can use on their desktop, and they'll put their nine to 35 contacts in there and it will literally do what I just said. It will send them an alert uh, based on you know, whatever cadence they've put in place, but it will say, hey, this is somebody who's important to you. Here's uh, you know, a reminder to reach out to them. And the tool actually gives them suggestions on what they can do with that person to close new business. So we've built AI that gives recommendations and guidance into how to close the lead while you're working on it.
0: Wow, that's great, David. That's What a great idea. Uh, We're going to put that link and your LinkedIn bio link on our show notes. Everybody that's listening, if you want to connect with David, make sure you check the show notes. And David, I appreciate you being here. We're going to have you back in the future to get more of your wisdom. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Well, I sure look forward
1: to it, Scott. Thanks again.
0: Thank you for listening to The Rainmaking Podcast. For more information about our recruiting services for international law firms, visit our website at attorneysearchgroup.com. To inquire about having Scott speak at your next convention, conference, sales meeting, or executive retreat, visit therainmakingpodcast.com.